Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Good afternoon and welcome to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored by KLM. We are coming to you live from Tempe, Arizona in Max 6 in the Phoenix Business Radio X studio. And I have three amazing guests in the studio with me today that I'd love to introduce you to. We'll jump right in. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Kelly. It's great to be here. Tell us your full name and what you do for a living. So I'm Jim Huddlemeyer. I'm a residential mortgage banker. I work for Primary Residential Mortgage. So I've been in the mortgage industry here in Arizona for 21 years now, primarily work here in California. Nice. Thank you for joining me today. Anjali Patel, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you officially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. I'm an attorney. I focus a lot on business and real estate actions, both in court and out of court. And I've been an attorney for 12 years now. In Arizona, primary, do you do anything out of state? Nope, just licensed in Arizona. Oh, nice. Well, good. Keep us all on our toes. Everybody here in real estate. <laughs> Steve, welcome to the show. Kelly, thanks for having me. Steve Russell. I'm with Keller Williams Arizona Realty. I have been selling residential real estate for the past 15 years in the greater Phoenix area. There you go. And now you know why I invited all of you together. <laughs> There's always a, a silver lining, always a connection. I always choose a client to highlight. Uh, and Steve was my lucky client this month. No, I'm just teasing you. Why you would highlight me, I have no idea. <laughs> but thank you. And the purpose of the show is I think the more we can collaborate together, the more our community grows and fosters if we collaborate and do business with people we know and like and trust. So with that, Jim, I'll jump right in. Tell us a little bit more in detail uh, what your company does. I know you're a senior loan officer and a branch manager, so you have your hands full. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, we, we, we basically do residential mortgages. Obviously, we just went through a run here where rates hit historic lows, uh, lower than we've ever seen them, possibly lower than they may ever get again. My business primarily is split up between purchases, working with guys like Steve on the real estate side with buyers, and then refinance, whether it's pulling money out of your house or lowering your interest rate. The rate stuff that just happened recently caused a refinance run that was, that was huge, unlike anything really I've seen in my career. While we do normally focus on me and my team, we do tend to focus on buyer's purchase side. There was just a run through the whole industry. And now rates are, they're a little bit higher, right? They're five, 6% if you're giving them a general number, which isn't bad historically. But, but so many Americans now have a two or three in front of their mortgage that, that that side of things has really kind of slowed down. And we're back in a more regular, I would say, purchase market. Mm, yeah. And and people in who used to be in real estate a long time ago, I was in real estate and five or six was like, that was the norm. And now everybody's whining about, about it being a five and six percent. <laughs> you get into those conversations a lot. I mean, a lot of it just simply has to do with, with how old the client is, right? Like you, you always find the clients who, say, who have the story, hey, my first house, 17%, but younger homeowners, they, they don't know anything but Hey, why doesn't this have a three percent front of what's going on? It's it's a very what have you done for me kind of lately mindset. So it's an interesting kind of hurdle that I think we're all 
working through right now. Yeah, I bet. And especially um, on both sides, the mortgage side and the real estate side. What do you see? Oh, my gosh. You completely, you know, they... He's right. There was an absolute run. He talked about refi. I actually refied with Jim uh, last year. One of the best decisions I ever made. He was he was phenomenal th- through it all. But he is dead on. It was a twenty twenty one was an absolutely phenomenal year for a lot of real estate agents for the simple reason those were interest rates we had just never seen before. So thankfully, my phone was ringing off the hook with buyers, and it went through all of twenty twenty one. Kind of went into twenty twenty two, and then. This little word called inflation came along and things just kind of, Jim nailed it, dried up. And, you know, just, I would talk talk to a couple buyers and they would go, and they were just flabbergasted. Are you kidding me? They are 6%. And I would joke, I said, my parents bought their house with a 16% interest rates and they thought that was wonderful. So they're, you know, so, but the 6% after seeing their friends buy in 2021 at 3%, they were just we, we're going to wait. We're going to wait. But as Jim alluded to, it has gotten better. Uh, the interest rates have dropped just a bit and the phone is starting to ring again. I'm like, yeah, okay. I can live with, you know, 5%, even though, you know, my neighbor had three, I can live with five. So we're, we're slowly but surely coming, coming out of it. The, the fear of having a higher interest rate is slowly going away. That's good. Yeah. The longer it, the time, time heals, right? It does. It really does. <laughs> and perspective. You know, perspective is a huge deal. If you know where it came from, if you know, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, that's where it was like, well, okay, we're back at it. Well, you know, kind of a side story. Uh, In 2020, we had a little pandemic. I don't know if you heard about it, (laughs) COVID-19. It kind of, I think it just hit Tempe and that's it. And everyone was stuck in the house across the country, across the world. And so people spent time more and more time in their house and they realized, I don't like my house. I'm tired of this house. So you know what? The second I can get out of here, I'm going to go buy a new house. Jim and I got the effects of that. We're going to go buy a new house. And now it's like they see the interest rates, 5 6%. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to sit in my house for a while. Yeah, okay, I'm done. I, I can live with 5%. I need to go find. So it's the same thing. And they're just tired of waiting. And, you know, Jim can talk, talk about it as well, how the interest rates have dropped just a bit. And people are like, okay, that's it. I'm motivated. I've waited two months. I'm out of here. Let's go. Let's go buy a new place. Yeah. What about you, Anjali, from a from a perspe- law perspective? What are you seeing? I'm seeing the effects of, I think, the great resignation and people sitting in their houses as well. So I'll give you some examples. I've seen a lot of people who never considered starting their own business before, but something about that 2020, 2021 period they thought, you know what, what am I getting from my employer? What else is out there? Could I just do this on my own? Especially now that I maybe don't have to pay commercial rent to do it. I could do it all virtually. I could do it from my living room. Uh, Same thing with what does it really cost to build this accessory structure in my backyard? Do I really have to follow the CCNRs, that kind of thing? Um, Can I take advantage of everybody's buying real estate? Can I do it too? Can I make it a short-term rental? So kind of helping navigate that for these clients who I don't think would have been my clients 2018, 2019, and now all of a sudden they're coming to me with brand new problems, and a lot of them don't know how to navigate all of the rules. 
So mm. there's so many rules. There are rules. <laughs> and as an attorney, you have to know all of them. <laughs> I am always amazed at how much law is in an ex. I have a lot of attorney clients. And I'm like, I don't understand how you know all those, how that just sticks in your head. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I think for every industry in the world, there are attorneys that will hyper-focus on that area. And so, you know, You'll see it for estate planning. You'll see it for real estate, business, whatever. And then hyper-focused on entertainment law, specific contracts for agents, for instance. All the different aspects of sports law. It's fascinating. There's a little subsection for all these different things. And what is your favorite subsection? You know, I've really been enjoying helping homeowners and business owners navigate something. They're trying to accomplish something. They don't necessarily even have an adverse party yet. But what do they need to know so that they can assess the risk and make an informed decision? I'm not telling them, no, don't do it. I'm telling them, okay, think about this. How do you want this to go? It's almost like a, I'm a, their consultant to help them get their objective. That's, that's my favorite. I'm curious for you, like in a time like we just went through where money's almost falling from the sky, right? People aren't working. They're getting checks. They're, the, to Steve's point, we're sitting in our homes. Rates are low. We're like, oh, we should get a second home. Oh, we can work from home. We're realizing that, like in a good time like that, do you legally do, do you get less calls? Do you get more calls? Is it about the same? I think I'm in a unique position because I'm one of the people that stopped being an employee somewhere, started my own thing, and now I'm building up a practice. And so I came into it at the same time as a lot of other people. I'm not sure if it's a change in my marketing and position now versus let's say five years ago, that's changing the clients I'm getting. But I never feel, I've never felt like I've been better positioned to receive, receive people who have never had a prior experience with an attorney before. You know, I was working in this during the the bubble, the collapse, you know, 08, 09. And I hope we don't go through it again. But I mean, I got so many calls just basically asking me for a referral to an attorney like yourself during that time, like so many. And at that point, I'm fresh out of law school, if even that, or I'm in law school at the time. So I graduated into that market. And it wasn't about what do you want to do for the rest of your life? It is who will pay me so I can pay off my bills the second I graduate? <laughs> I'm freaking out. So a lot's happened to me personally in the last 12 years that's made me a better person to help them than I would have been. To go into this type of... Right. Of... That's that's really good. And speaking of which, how did you choose? I'm going to ask each of you. I'll start with you, Jim. How did you choose the industry you're in, or I, why? How and why? <laughs> I feel like if you talk to a lot of lot of mortgage people, almost all of them will tell you they they quote unquote fell into the the industry in some capacity. That that's pretty much what happened to me. I was actually in a sales job out of college. This was a, I graduated in '99. There was a tech boom, right? I was I was selling in the tech world. That basically went bye-bye pretty quickly, the company I was working for. And and a friend of mine went into the mortgage industry. He had to move. He had kept telling me like, hey, I think this would be a really good fit for you. He worked with me at the tech company. We were on the sales side and I was kind of resistant just given what had happened. And eventually over time, it just, I, I couldn't really find a career, a home that I felt comfortable with. I knew I liked sales. My mom's a calculus teacher. Math has always kind of been um, in my wheelhouse. And finally I was just like, you know what? I, I do want that interview. And so I, I went in and talked to uh, what was, you know, the company that had hired me and it just kind of lined up and that's, that's how I got into it. That's from yeah. a friend, right? Yeah. Somebody, yeah. I like that. I bought him d dinner recently to thank him. Yeah. It really, 
it's kind of fell together for me. It's a good, it's always neat to go back and thank or, you know, tell the people that helped you kind of get into the, into the industry. I mean, the fact that he bought a McDonald's, I'm not sure what the, you know, it could have been more than McDonald's. That it, you could bought been, him. it could have been. It could have been. Well, kind of thank you. <laughs> Anjali, what about you? How and why? I think in the last two years, one driving force for me in reshaping my career towards protecting a small business owner or a homeowner is, can I leave someone better off than I found them? Um, that's, I think, where I can get meaning from being a lawyer and enjoying what I do every day. And so that's what I was, that's what I was trying to capture. Um, and that's kind of the shift of how I fell into what I'm doing right in this moment. And that's what I hang on to when I've done something. These the clients of mine, they don't know how to navigate whatever it is. They don't know how to respond to a lawsuit. They don't know how to properly structure their business. They don't know how to interpret what the CCNRs even are if they're in a HOA. So how can they get what they want? How can they understand the rules of the system? I'm their guide. And I love being able to give them that value. And how to be protected. Right. right. Liability is the name of the game. And you need to understand what your liability is so you can make a decision about what you're willing to tolerate and what you're not which I assume is a big deal for you, too. I was just going to say, I can't tell you, HOAs, you know, make me nervous. And 99.9% .9 of my clients are, you know, follow the CCNRs. Just, you know, just don't paint your house with polka dots because the HOA is not going to be real happy with that. But if there's something they really want to do, like put in an RV gate or something, I have, I call you. That's right. And go and say, hey, um, please help me out here. Explain this to me. But I, when they, they get too technical, they really want to go deep. I bring you into the fold and say, okay, explain to them what they can and can't do. Exactly. And and something I think people don't understand is these HOAs a lot of time are nonprofit organizations that are filed with the Arizona Corporation Commission. They're subject to rules. There's multiple levels of rules. There's bylaws for the nonprofit. There's the CCNRs that are recorded against their property. Which is, tell us what CCNRs for some of those who don't know. Those are property restrictions that are recorded with the recorder's office. It usually stands for covenants, conditions, and restrictions. Sometimes they're called something else like declaration or declaration of horizontal property regime. We're talking about the same things. They are recorded rules that the property is subject to no matter who owns it. The person that administers these rules, I guess, for a lack of a better word, is the HOA. The HOA is a nonprofit. It's subject to additional rules called statutes from our Arizona legislature. And you need to know where those statutes are and what you can use from those statutes and what your rights are when you get a letter or a violation. And then also these, these CCNRs, these property restrictions, um, they can incorporate Things from other documents, like design guidelines, for instance. And so there's all these different levels of when there's a conflict between them, how is it interpreted? What can an HOA sue me over and what can't they sue me over? What do I face if I don't follow these rules? And then also what happens after I already didn't follow them? A lot of these documents are 20 pages, 60 pages. It's difficult and overwhelming for your traditional homeowner to understand how all of them work together and what do they do about it. 
Absolutely. All those things you're like, oh my gosh, I have to read. I had in real estate, I sold, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of homes. And there was one, I had one that didn't read the the CCNRs or didn't know what the CCNRs said, right? And got in there and it was something so significant that she was like, I have to get out. And so then what, you know, if you have an attorney that you can say, okay, what can I just say, you know, forget it because I'm, you know, the statute says more than what the, you know, what the HOA can tell me. So it's really important to have people in your corner that that can understand the law and the interpretation. <laughs> exactly. I think you can hand anybody it, the, the CCNRs, but do they understand, like, by the time they get to page 30, did is it all in terrible no, format? Nobody's reading to page 30. <laughs> <laughs> well, 30 is where it gets You're good. I'm telling you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was 26, page 26. That's your limit. That's my limit. Most common violation you get that you get a letter about that someone will come up to you and say, what do I, what's the most common violation you see? I'll tell you the one that's, I think, hot this year, short-term rentals. Because it varies? Because it varies. (laughs) And was it originally part of the declaration? Was it an amendment? Okay. There's a new Arizona Supreme Court case that... I think changes how you've got to look at whether an amendment is enforceable or not. So this is an area that's changing. This is an area everybody has their eye on. And this is an area with rent prices increasing that all of a sudden it becomes a viable strategy for someone who has a second home and it wasn't before. Wow. Yeah. And and all the homeowners, everybody else, it's going, they can't do that. They can't have the short-term rental in there. (laughs) That's the number one thing as a real estate agent. You get to know your client and find out what they want to do with the house. If it's a second home, investment property. If it's an investment property, we look more away from HOAs just because they want to rent it out and things like that. But when it comes to an HOA and they want to think about second home and possible uh, in renting it out, investing it, it's all, I mean, I have them study. I have them read past page 30. Go to page 31 <laughs> and find out exactly what you can do when it comes to renting the place out because yeah. the HOA, they just, they're extremely stringent for good reason. And they, they, they've got to look that they, with their, their neighborhood and they want to make sure that, you know, that, uh, that everyone's following the rules. So it's, 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 it's a good thing to have. That's yeah, absolutely. That's a good start. And I would say that they should look at a couple other things too. They should look at the history of the documents where the CCNRs ever amended are there pending documents? Is is the HOA contemplating a change to the documents? Mm-hmm. I've had that come up for someone before where they bought it to use as a short-term rental. And meanwhile, HOA is trying to pass an amendment to yes. restrict short-term rentals. Now you bought this property thinking it was worth X. And is it? I think we also have to keep in mind, we have to pay attention to a new governor in Arizona and how they'll feel about short-term rentals. Because right now, Cities are preempted from restricting short-term rentals. Is that going to be the case with a new governor? I really don't know. Don't we don't we, <laughs> we should the even same get look, let's, let's talk politics. <laughs> anyway, no, no, we should not talk politics. But that's a good thing to think about. Anyways, well, the short-term sure. rental laws. I mean, that that's brought up all. The, I mean, I, I get asked. I, I assume you do too. With people, oh, yeah. I mean, there's just concern, like because to your point, I mean, it's something that can change. There's talks about things happening there. I know, like sometimes when I'm shopping for short-term rentals, my you'll see in the comments like great property. 
The neighbors are very upset this is a short-term rental. <laughs> There's an association, I think, with short-term rentals that people are going to come in and party, right? Like if you own a house and someone tells you, hey, guess what? They, they just sold the house next door. It's going to be a short-term rental. I don't think anybody's like, oh, that's great news. This is great. I, let me go tell my wife. She's going to be so excited. <laughs> So I think the short-term rental thing is an interesting one in the industry just because you hear about kind of what you're saying, like, is something going to change at some point with that on a, a, a you know, on a, on a stance from the, the cities and the states? And I know some of the cities, like Scottsdale's already starting to do a few things there, but I think that's an interesting one that I get asked a lot. I assume you do, uh, Steve, as well. There, I know there is, a, I think, I don't know, and I sh- there's a case that got started a couple of years ago. There's a property in Phoenix. And it was turned out to be a spring break party house and just, you know, college kids, probably from Minnesota, coming in town and the neighbors were like, but it was no HOA, but we've got to set some guidelines of, you know, who can rent it out. And they were concerned that, you know, I think there was like trash in the front lawn, things like that. And it started a movement of what we're going to do about short-term rentals in the Phoenix area. And to your point of just, it's now becoming an issue with the governor's race, things like that. And so it's not even so it's not even safe to tell your clients, okay, if you're going to do short term rental, just don't buy in an HOA. Now it's like way more than that. It sounds it's way like, more than that. Yeah, I think you got to be ready to pivot. Like if you're buying a house for that, and because you can't control what's going to happen. But yeah. luckily, we've got a great long term rental market too. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. Everything's so expensive, even for renting right now. But at least you'll make money on it. So that's good. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. So we talked about the the how did about getting into law. Did you, you didn't tell us, Steve, yours. How, how did you get into real estate this or is why? Actually, this is actually my second career. Uh, after graduating from college, barely, I uh, went into broadcasting. My uncle was a longtime broadcaster. I grew up in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and my uncle was a longtime uh, broadcaster with one a, a very big radio station. He was a talk show host, and I would come down very much like this in the setting we're in right now, sit down. And he, and I remember he interviewed uh, Cindy Crawford, Richard Gere, Hulk Hogan. And I said, that's what I want to do. So when I left college, I went and got a quote broadcasting degree in at a small school in Minneapolis. And then I started my uh, a broadcasting career that lasted for 15 years. And I'll just tell you the, the first story I ever did on my sports broadcasting career was June 6th, 1994. And it was about two deaths in Brentwood, California, and a Heisman Trophy winner named OJ Simpson was arrested. That was the very first sport. I don't don't know what happened with that story. Anyway, (laughs) I don't know if that ever blossomed. I remember I rode my bike home from my friend's house after watching that same story on the news, just for an age reference. (laughs) (laughs) Well played, young man. Well played. It's a true story. You look great for 15. Anyway, um, so after I did that for a number of years and I had a, I, I did sports for eight, 10 years, and then I did news for four or five. And then I quote, I got burned out. My last job was for the CNN affiliate in Tampa, Florida. And at the time, a, a, a good friend of mine from high school was working in Victorville, California, and was going to make the transfer to Arizona and doing real estate. And he said, would you like, you know, you ought to think about doing real estate. And he bugged me for years and years. And I finally gave in. I talked to my parents. They said, what do you think? And I talked to other people and they said, you'd be very good at it. You should give it a try. So in 2007, I made, I, I packed up my Honda CRV, which I know Jim loves. <laughs> and I made the drive over here from Tampa all the way across the 10 to, um, to Phoenix to start my uh, real estate career, not knowing a single person. So 
And since uh, 2007, I did commercial for two years and then I did residential starting in 2009 and I've loved it ever since. And you made a point about you want to help people and make their life better. That's exactly why I love real estate is after, you know, make, you know, a great lifestyle change through real estate. They got a better house than they ever imagined. And I love being a part of that. It's really cool. That's what a cool story. And actually, not to be about me, one of the first people I met said, you know, you need a lender you need to work with. And so he introduced me to a guy named Jim Huddlemeyer. <laughs> and I've been working with him since 2009. Best decision. He's absolutely phenomenal. We've done a lot of deals together. And when you're in real estate and, you know, you get the success, you have a lot of lenders who want to talk to you. And I go, no, no, no. I've, I've got a great guy that I've been working with for years. And he's one of the best. So that's that's how I know him. It's a huge deal to be able to have somebody that you can lean on no matter what, right? It's the same with anything. It's a business consulting or, you know, or anybody that you're associated with, financial planner, attorney. If you have those people in your corner, you know you're protected, you know you're safe, and you know that the deal's going to go well. That's huge. I mean, it's his, he, he's had every deal go through, every single one of them. And it's, and it's, it's nice to know that it's every single time, like, Prequal. I mean, he's, you know, you know, I get a suddenly a client wants to write an offer. We have to do it now. He will be literally on a golf course. Take the call, talk to my client, get them pre-qualified, and then hit his next shot on the golf course. He's he will. I mean, no embellishment at all here. He he will work. I mean, he works. The only days he works are ones that in the end in the letter Y. So, but he's just a hardworking agent, and I mean, hardworking lender. So it's it's nice to have him as a partner. Yeah, it, it makes a huge difference. I, I appreciate that, Steve. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Jim, let's transfer a little bit. How? What's the most success you've had or what thing to grow your business? What What has helped you the most? I think for me, it's always, it's about people, right? The whole, when you're in, sale, in sales or, you know, I'm, I'm specifically, I'm in mortgage, but it's about people. It's about relationships. I, I think that is the biggest thing there is, right? And, and and so growing the business is, you know, when you start in anything, like if you start in real estate or really anything that, you know, they're going to say, hey, you know, talk to your sphere, talk to the people you know, right? So it's really a lot of it's just growing, growing the number of people you know. And Steve just talked about it, right? You, you want to find, I mean, these are human relationships at the end of the day, right? Whether they're with the customer, whether they're with your boss, your employees, all of it. You want to find like-minded people who you enjoy talking to, but you know you have the same goals, right? And and that's really, to me, how I've grown my business. And like I said, it's not, it, it, it's finding partners like Steve, finding, you know, referral partners you work, but it's also like the people who, like in the mortgage world, we do a, a mortgage, there's six, seven people who have to touch the mortgage to get it done. And if you have people working for you who who aren't good or, or, or don't understand or don't have the motivation similar to, to how you do, that's a problem, right? So, so the relationships to me are above everything else. And, you know, it's just too, like when you get up in the morning and you go to work, I think we all want to ideally have a job that we enjoy doing that, that you can make good money at, but, but like enjoying the conversations, like not looking at your phone being like, Oh no, you know, so it's finding the right partners and all that I think is really, and just valuing people you know, my dad always said to me the old expression, right? Like, you see the same people on the way up as, as you do on the way down. He was always really kind to important people, but the busboy at the restaurant too. And I think that's a really important lesson in life and in sales because we all start somewhere, right? Like, I was the young guy at the office, the intern. Now I'm the manager. You know, so you go through that progression. But it's funny as you 
you do a career for a long time and you gain wisdom, just the, the way those relationships change and how you keep seeing a lot of those people. So, so I really think it's important to value people, be kind to people, do right by people and just build, build those partnerships. That's really huge. I love you gave so many good. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> so many in a row. <laughs> uh, Anjali, what about you? What, how have you grown your business or what has helped you grow yours? It's basically the same thing. I've got referral partners, but usually my best referrals come from another attorney who, for whatever reason, a client or a potential client came to them and said, here's my problem. And someone says, this is actually a good match with you. You know how to do this. This is what this person needs. And I do the same for them later. So those are those are always a great relationship, you know, to cultivate and it's nice to have this other second person too, who you can say, yeah, here's my, what I have in mind. Absolutely. And maybe, you know, I've already screened them and I know that they are looking for X and, you know, you get a better delivery of service. Yeah. Relationships again. Right. And, and the referral partners, I am constantly talking to clients about what referral partners do you have? Who are you going to see? Who are your relationships, you know, to build on um, because it's, it's key. They'll last a lifetime, right? I mean, Ideally. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's, it's, it's so much easier to retain a client or relationship than create new ones. So yeah, I, to your point, ideally you find these partnerships, these relationships that work and you, you maintain them. Yeah, it's really big. I wish somebody would have told me that when I was a kid, right? <laughs> like, hey, be nice to everybody like your dad did, right? Yeah, like, yeah. be nice to everybody, you know? It's really valuable in 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 the professional space. Yeah. Yeah, I had to learn that the hard way. <laughs> My mom called me Murphy Brown. <laughs> Wait, you were mean as a child? Wow. I was mean. I know. Why I did you push look... me on the... You were the person who pushed me on the playground. <laughs> no. I thought you looked familiar. No, I just lined you up on the other side of the teeter-totter, and I got all the rides with <laughs> the rest of the kids got. <laughs> I'm having PTSD right now. I'm having flashbacks. That was a painful time on the teeter... Yeah. <laughs> Jim is actually absolutely right. I... Uh, I just try to be really nice to everybody I meet because and just treat them well and take good care of them as real estate as uh, as buyers as clients. I I just try to be the best person I can possibly be and and be just very honest with them about what they can do, what they can't do, and it gets paid back in spades. It does. So it's if I can just be the best real estate agent, the goal is always you know what you took really good care of us and you know everything you you did everything you said you would do. And you said every, you know, and you followed, you followed that and we're going to refer you. So that's, that's my number one thing is just be the best agent I can possibly be to my clients. Well, and you're funny. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yeah. Is that, is that... <laughs> She's going to call you well out. Well done. <laughs> She's going to call you out. <laughs> wow. Uh, speaking of it, speaking of real estate and, and your job, what is the best part? What's What's the most rewarding for you? I'll start with you, Steve, and go the other way. So Jim doesn't have to start this one. I mean, the commission check. No, the <laughs> best part is, uh, it, you know what? It's at the very end. It's actually when you have a tough deal and you get them to the finish line. And that's always fun. And it's always fun when they, making that phone call to the first time home buyer, and I call them up and they know why I'm calling. And I say, I just... I just got to tell you something. I said, what? And I said, are you sitting down? And they like, what? And I said, you got the house. And they just scream. They jump. They're just, and that's, that never gets old. So it's telling them that uh, the house is officially in their name. 
that never gets old. 15 years later, it's the best phone call, but it's the work that goes into it. But I really do love, and I love the fact that then, you know, thankfully they said, thank you for being so great. Thank you for getting us through this. We couldn't have done it without you. And that motivates me. I got to do it again. I'm going to do it again every single time. So it's always, it's all that, that, you know, you hang up the phone and you feel great. Like, okay, that's why you do this. Yeah, absolutely. Start their dream, right? Yeah, start exactly. Start their new life, start their dream or give them one more thing to one more add thing. To, their, to their dream life. Way cool. What about you, Angela? There's a lot of good things, you know, leaving the client better than I found them. But I think my absolute favorite thing is winning, just generally winning. So, you know, you, you, Thank you, you Charlie to... Sheen. Wow. <laughs> Winning. I oh, dig yeah. it. I dig it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just, you know, sometimes you make motions. You, you don't think you're going to win or you have to make them. You believe what you're saying, but, you know, there's risk there. And so the heart starts beating, especially if you're arguing directly about it with the judge and opposing counsel. And then that final moment, my, my heart's, you know, beating. I'm all fired up. And then... The judge rules on it, and it feels so good to win. So when you were defending Johnny Depp, <laughs> how did that go for you? Back you saw it on TV, right? <laughs> you, you saw won. me there. You, you, saw, you, you were excellent. You did a great Thank job. Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Jim, what about you? What's the best part of your job? I mean, I agree. I like kicking ass. Like, I, I do. I like to win, too. I like to prove people wrong. I like yes. to kind of prove to myself just what I'm capable of, I guess. So... You know, Steve mentioned the commission checks and he quickly like sidetracked too. And it, it's, you know, there's like a taboo thing with money, right? But we all work to get paid, right? It's okay. Like, I don't know how many young people are listening to Business Radio X in the middle of the day, <laughs> but like when you're lining stuff up, I mean, how much money you can make in a career is relevant. There's nothing wrong with looking at it. It's important, right? But I think most people, well, not most, but it's, it's finding out what, like when I have employees, what's their motivation? What motivates them? Some people, it's just money, but others, it's like, we're t- it's winning. It's, it's proving something it all leads to money. But for me, it's always just kind of been that I've I've wanted a career that I controlled that, you know, when you're a salary employee, if you're the best or you're the worst, I mean, in theory, you're paid, you get paid what you get paid, right? When you go into a career like, like we have here, you really control that. And so for me, it's really something that, that I enjoy about it is just like, again, just beating, (laughs) looking at my competitors, looking at the industry being among the best, proving to my customers that they made the right decision to trust me, proving to my referral partners that they made the right decision to trust me. And I talked about relationships and, and how important I believe they are. But I think you also need to win. You need to win for your clients. You need to win for your referral partners. You know, Steve mentioned, like, when he brings a deal to me, we get it done. Steve gets deals done, which is how you impress the customer and you retain customers. So just kind of all of that uh, competing succeeding and proving to the people who trust in me that they made the right choice. And really, I just want to impress every single one of them. It'd be neat to hear, after you say all those things, it's neat to hear what your core values are. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it is because a lot of what you just said is right. Is, is who we are at the core. Yeah. Right. Is, yeah. It, is it the competitive nature is, and, and we talk about like the taboo that oh, we shouldn't, you know, say I want to make money, but conscious capitalism it, you know, exists for a reason, right? Yeah. I'm on the leadership team in the Arizona chapter and we should make money doing what we are really good at doing and what we like to do. I wake up every morning. I'm like, 
I get paid to do this. You know, that's I think a great that, feeling. There's nothing better. Right. My motivation to make money is that Jim beats me on the golf course now. Yeah, he so needs it. I have to buy him hats <laughs> yeah. and shirts as penalties. So that's my <laughs> true motivation to win because I just owe Jim money on the golf course. It over and over. Now, why I keep betting him, I'm not real sure. That's but right. that's been my motivation. That's why I'm winning. Bet on, bet on him next time. Uh, he's going to win. You know what? This is going to go down a road we really could discuss here. But he's got people that always, you know, they bet against me. And turns out they're right. So here on the golf course. So it, it works out well for everybody, especially Jim. Only on the golf course. Only on the golf course. <laughs> We're only sticking to that story. It's only that story. No, but it's, it's he. you know, he is right. There is something about. He's right. It, it's great to feel like you're doing well and you are you're financially doing well. And it's and it's and it's at the end of the day, it does feel great. But I wouldn't be here just, you know, the relationships. But yes, it is. You're I'm out there as an individual agent. I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm out there. And so I got to keep working my tail off on my own. To be successful. Well, I mean, the thing with, you know, people will say like, oh, money creates happiness. We all know, I would say that money doesn't buy happiness, right? But when you, you know, I had an industry perspective growing up and that there were periods in our life where we were, we did not have much to work with. And one thing that is definitely true is when you don't have money, it creates real problems and it creates real stress. And I think when you take the leap into being self-employed or a commissioned employee, there's always that fear, right? That that is also kind of a, a, a motivator, I assume, in everybody who does it. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's the fear. Everybody who sticks with it. Yeah. But yeah. there's also that saying, though, and I, I, I got to give Jim kudos. It's like you surround yourself with people who, you, who elevate you. Jim elevates me. I mean, he is a very successful, very good lender, a banker, and he does really well. So why would you not want to spend time with someone who does really well and just feed off his energy? And wanted and want to be successful. You don't surround yourself with people who aren't, you know, aren't doing well, who don't motivate you. You surround yourself with people who motivate you. And he motivates me. And we've got a couple of the other guys that, you know, we spend time with are also very successful. Those guys motivate me. They're good guys. They're relationship driven. They're really good people, but they also work really hard. They're very successful. Why would you not want to spend time with people like that? And I think as you, as you build a business, like, like piggybacking on that, like, so for Steve, he's the realtor. You want to, you want to, at the beginning of these careers, you need to know it all, right? You're kind of, but as you grow, like, I think as we get older, we realize like the ideal world is you have financial freedom as they call it, right? But part of that is for me, it's how many mortgages can we write? So if I'm bogged down in like, if I'm, bogged down with the underwriting part and the processing part, or Steve's bogged down babysitting the lender or babysitting, that's less time for him to be out selling real estate, which is where the money comes in for Steve, which is, you know, really what makes everything go. So, so the other value of partnerships, employees, team members, whatever it is based on your business that you can trust them and you can get to the point where you trust yourself to, to get out of the way, so to speak, and free up your time to bring in more you more in my side, it's more, more loan deals. That's, that's valuable, right? Yeah. So I know with Steve, or I hope he knows with all my partners, like, Hey, you don't need to babysit the mortgage side. You go sell real estate, you deal with the clients on that side. And I've got this covered. And that's definitely something that I, you know, I value. And I, I try to bring to my, 
my partners in those relationships. You're I mean, I'm way, my language. <laughs> I'm way too focused on making reels and Instagram. Right. I really, you know. <laughs> we need to keep him where he's best. Uh, exactly. I need some really, no. you know, exactly. No. <laughs> you know, babysit the mortgage, good reels. I mean, come on, let's go. No, I, you're speaking my language. It, there is no reason that as an independent contractor, as an entrepreneur, as a, you know, anybody has to do it themselves. There's no reason to do it to yourself. There, you know, we tell all new moms, it takes a village, right? I tell all new entrepreneurs, it takes a village. You should not and do not do this by yourself because why, it, you know, would you spend your time doing something that you're not that good at? There, there's yeah. no reason for it. Yeah. Give that to somebody else. Get out of your own way. Like yeah, you get said. it out of your own. Yeah, that's it. It's a big deal. And it, and you can, and people worry like, oh, I'm not going to make that much money or, you know, oh, I'll do the underwriting myself. I'll do this because I can do it better. No, that you can find somebody, you know, have a team member to do it uh, for you who's probably better and faster than you are at any of these things, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, like I hear this a lot, they come out of real estate school, you'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, they say I have to give out three lenders. I get that all the time and I understand the logic behind it and why they explain that to them. But if you go with that model, for example, you're now have lenders competing for your client's business, which is going to kind of undercut them, take away their time to kind of go about it in a certain way. And then you don't know who they're working with. And you as the realtor now have to kind of consult the client on it. And again, you get back to having to babysit the client. And if that's how people want to run their business, so be it. But to me, it's an ex that's just an example, but it's an example of people getting in their own way, so to speak, because again, like the elite, the, the top real estate people, the top mortgage people, they are focused on, on bringing in the deal, building the relationship with the client and that's it. And, and having other people so they can get out of the way who they trust to handle the loan, the title, transaction coordinator, all of it. That's why they're the elite. <laughs> yeah. That's how you get to the top. You, the time is valuable. We all have the same amount of time in a day. So, you know, it's, that's exactly how they get to the top. Right. Speaking of time, tell us uh, lessons learned, a time in your career. Uh, and anybody can jump in. I don't have to just pick on Jim all the time for starting, but um, <laughs> lessons learned, something you wished you would have known when you started that you know now. I mean, the one that stands out with me and I, and was about seven, eight years ago, I think Jim was working on this loan and a client, we were under contract and he was trying to get qualified for the loan. And we were at a point in the contract where if he did not, you know, he had to pull out or stay with it, he would lose his earnest money. And we had a $6,000 earnest money. And, and long story short, we, you know, we missed the stop. I did because I thought he was going to get it done. He didn't. And my client lost the six grand. And because I didn't really explain it enough, I reimbursed him for the six grand. And I remember I called Jim and Jim said, I've never heard an agent doing that. But I remember ever since then that I've been very diligent to tell my clients, okay, here are the points of no return. Here's where you, this, 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 and this. And so, but I, that was, uh, it was an incredible lesson. But I remember my the client stayed with me, but I did not say, hey, listen, you I had to call him up. You lost your earnest money. It's like, wait a minute. I didn't know. I, I said, don't worry. I'll, I'll cover for you. And the funny thing is, is he's, you know, he's a multi-million dollar client. So it was like $6. But I, I just felt it was my responsibility as his agent to make sure he knew about that cutoff. Never happened again. So, but that was a life lesson to just be like, hey, let your clients know every single step of the way. Avoid all pitfalls. Communication. Communication. 
left and right. Yeah. What about you, Angelie? Anything I, that sticks out? I'd say I wish I had started out my legal career starting with the client's objective because that defines everything about my strategy now. You have to start with it. You have to keep it in mind. And that makes your strategy for whatever you're trying to accomplish different every time. Because some clients, they care more about you making their life easier. And some of them are really going to hyper-focus on the bill, right? And keeping it as cheap as possible. So you can't hit every client with the same approach. You can't keep it as cheap as possible for every client. Some of them really want you to just take it start to finish and just solve the problem. So I wish... 12 years ago, I had really said, okay, what does my client want here? And then start with that. Everything comes back to what do they want? What's their primary objective? That's huge. Are they still in jail? (laughs) Get them out. Okay. (laughs) Jim, what about you? Lessons learned? Something you wish you would have known at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, it's an endless list of lessons learned for me. It's, It's ongoing. I mean, but it's great. It's fun. You know, you learn, you know, Steve talked about it. You, you, you learn, you got to learn from your mistakes. And I mean, to his point, like something with him, you know, he's, he will do what he says, right? It's easy to go out and say, I'll do this. I'll, I'll, you know, if something goes wrong, I'll put my own, my own money into it, which he will. Um, he's that kind of agent. Like, yeah, and there's just so many I could get into here, but I mean, I think a couple of things that like have really stood out with me is, um, you got to value your time one, right? Like sometimes you get to the point where maybe you have to realize some clients are not ones that you want to work with or some relationships are not worth the stress or the time that, that is entailed with them. And then the other is just, you know, fighting complacency, right? When you're, when you're in sales, I think we all probably set some kind of any business, anything in life, we set some kind of probably goal in our head. And if you reach that goal, what happens then? Or do you, do you get complacent and, and you need to, to, again, learn how to really ideally never let that happen and just always be doing the things that are maybe less glamorous, the prospecting, the whatever it is entailed to your business, but yeah, just not getting complacent. I'm battling that right now with it's, I, I mean, well, now, just, you're, now you've put it out there. We can help you. Thank you. I have, uh, that was the one thing is you said the word prospecting and when things slow down, you never should stop prospecting in real estate. You never do. Even in law, you just process, you're looking, you know, for, to work with new clients. And I would slow down, you know, f- full disclosure, I would slow down. But this year I made, I'm like, I'm not going to get complacent. And I have stayed, I have stuck with it. That was one of my big goals of just never stop prospecting. And I've been pretty good, you know, but I would get complacent. And it, it's so important. It's, I mean, we were kids, like, you know, I, it was always, at least the way, what I was like, Hey, if you become a doctor or a lawyer, you've made it right. Well, exactly. now that we're adults, like, made it. you haven't made it. Okay. <laughs> Well, one of the things I learned as I got older, it's like, hey, I mean, it's like, that's the first step. You get this law degree, you get, but like, if you, even if you're a doctor, like if you don't have patients or you're a lawyer, like if you don't have clients, you're, you're doing nothing. I mean, so it's like every job to a degree has this sales aspect where you need to work on bringing in clients, leads, prospecting. I'm sure every industry has a different name for it, but yeah. And in a run, like we went through in the, like, it was so busy because of the market that, that I know a lot of people got complacent during that time because either they were just so busy trying to do the things that were coming to them so easily, or it just felt so easy that, that our brains convinced ourselves, Hey, this is going to last forever. But yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you got to, the complacency thing, I think, especially in our industry with where the rates went in the housing market was, is a thing that a lot of people 
were. And you could use the excuse of like, I'm just too busy to yeah. prospect. I'm just, I'm doing so well. I just, you know, I, and I would, but I would get complacent on doing the back end stuff of just what you need to do. And so that'll not happen again. I've just. What, what, when you say complacency, what are, and, and so you don't get that. What, what's the prevention? I mean, I think, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, just t- turn off Netflix, but. Uh, <laughs> well, I was going to say, I think that that's a different answer for everybody. True. I, I think different people have they're wired different. Like some people are never content. That's just their nature, right? They are never going to feel comfortable. I have that to a degree. But then, I mean, we also live in a, in a world where it's so easy to get distracted with anything. I mean, our phones, uh, you know, you mentioned the Netflix. I mean, we could literally pull it up on our phones. There's so many distractions. It's so easy to just waste 30 minutes before you even know what happened this day and age. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little different, I would think, with entrepreneurs who are solely responsible for their own income to to not get as complacent, I would think, oh, as, for sure. as an employee, right? I the mean, fear. The fear will drive you. Right. We mm-hmm. don't have that real opportunity to get too complacent because you have to pay your bills. Yeah. You ha- you're not relying on a, a paycheck. I would assume it's a little better, you know, for. for but I look at somebody like, uh, I mean, I look at a, a Steve Jobs or an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos. Those guys are just wired differently. They're very smart men and they, but they are just wired differently. And I'm going to a conference next, next week in Dallas to hear Tom Ferry, who is just, that guy goes a hundred miles an hour every second of the day. I don't think the guy knows what complacency is, but I just, I wish I had that, you know, that ability to just go, go. Jim has it more than I do. He has that, that he's the ability just to keep going. And, you know, he, he keeps, he doesn't stop. And it, it's, it's an incredible gift that he has. Some personality. So he's got it yeah. inside my own brain. It's not maybe as glamorous as it always looks. Okay. All right. Sometimes it's, it's, it's almost frustrating, but yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I have, I never, for better or worse, it's hard for me to feel content no matter what has just, what I've achieved. Future goals, future goals, what's next, right? You. Do you think that higher purpose, like having a higher purpose and in, in your why would drive some of that? Like, oh, absolutely. I, for me, it does a hundred percent is like, no, no, no. The more I keep going, the more small businesses I can help, right? The yeah. more I can give them a fighting chance at success to not be, have to go, you know, get a real job as I, I say. right? Yeah. yeah. I think it's important. We all need to pull from something in our life, whether it's, you know, wanting to provide for our kids and impress our spouse, whatever it is, right. Help people. Yeah. I mean, we have to pull that, what that is from, from inside. And I think it's, probably different for everybody. For sure. I do. I feel like when I made the switch from being an, a lawyer that was an employee to being one that is essentially growing my own practice. So I became that small business owner too. I feel a little bit like I've been unlocked. There's a whole different set of motivations and I am making the promise at the beginning to the client and then I'm the one responsible for um, fulfilling it. I feel empowered, incredibly empowered. And this is a relatively new position to be in. I started the whole thing in last September, October. So we're coming up on a year. And I feel like I I really underestimated myself. So I have chills. My whole body yeah, has that's chills. That's really great. That's the, exactly wow. the reason I do what I do is to help these small businesses like you who, who go, 
I had to work for a I had to work for somebody for this long to finally go, oh, I can do this myself. I can do something on my own and I'm empowered to do that. I mean, that's huge. Yeah, you're a great example. Like people can't see the look on your face that you just had as you you explain that, but like the the you're proud of your it's hard to take that leap. And, oh, and yeah. that was awesome that you did that. And I can yeah. obviously, you know, you feel a, a sense of accomplishment and, and proud and what you've got going on there, which is awesome. It's awesome. It's exhausting, but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody tells you that part, right? When you're like, I'm thinking about being, you know, like on your own. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be an entrepreneur or independent contractor or a small business owner. Hey, by the way, you thought you were working hard before at your 70 hour a week job. Don't even think that's close, <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody tells you that part. No, especially when you're when you're an independent entrepreneur. It, <laughs> there, there is I, there is no clock to punch. No, nope. no, it just that clock just keeps going. It just keeps going. There's, like, do, can I close my eyes for five minutes today, or should I wait till tomorrow? <laughs> can you believe we've been talking for almost an hour? goes no, by no, so fast. This has flown by. Yeah, <laughs> it really has. So uh, wrapping up, any last thoughts? Uh, you know, we've talked a lot about uh, complacency. We've talked a lot about your your relationships and what matters and what drives you. Any last thoughts you can share? Um, and, you know, anything I missed, anything you that comes to mind with, you know, what you want to leave people with? Jim, I'll start with you. I know. I mean... <laughs> You know, I'm in the real estate industry. I think an important thing right now is just to remember that like nobody knows what is going to happen, right? Like the media is, is there's a lot of recession talk and even the, the media, quote unquote, right? It's like now, every, you know, I go on Instagram and I see a 20 year old kid definitively telling me how life works now, right? Like we can all get our news, quote unquote, from a lot of places right now, but I just think it's important to try to block out the fear and the worry. It doesn't help anything. What's going to happen is, is what's going to happen. And just be cautious as to, you know, getting overly influenced, I guess, by things that you're hearing from quote unquote, everybody. Yeah. Keep, stick to the experts, stick to your, you know, people that you, you trust the most to get your resources from, I mean, to get your knowledge from, to know, but even then it's you, like, still, you yeah. still have to, you're never going to, nobody has a crystal ball. Buying real estate is a big major investment it's something that a lot of wealthy people, people know wealthy people have it in their portfolio, so to speak. But it is there is risk with any investment. There is fear and risk with trying to become wealthy. I will say the biggest thing that I would, but that I've learned about real estate is if you, and stocks are similar, if you buy it and you believe it, it's a long-term hold. If you do it long-term, you will win. There you go. I like that. Anjali, what about you? Any last thoughts? I would say read pay attention and know that with the right professional, you can arm yourself to understand that risk instead of it just being like this impalpable thing. Like you don't, you don't even know what you're missing. I, you know, if you, if you're thinking about taking on something, at least, you know, read more about it, educate yourself, arm yourself, figure out what your liability is. That way you're making an informed decision. I love that. Do you know how to read, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw one at you. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know what? We have goals. And that was goal number one for today was to be able to learn how to read. Number two, he just brought, uh, Jim brought it up as I, as everyone can see in radio, I point to Jim, which is good radio, is the fact to say long-term goals. And when you get complacent is you start thinking like big picture 
you know, nothing's happening. But for me, what's worked in the last couple of years is to do something on a smaller scale, like a to-do list, like take care of these five goals for today and just stick with it. It's, it's literally planting a couple seeds and then five months from there, it's, you're going to have a harvest. And I, the, the quote that I keep seeing is if you do six, something consistent for six months, just stick with it for six months, it's going to pay off. And that's something I have really kind of in 2022 is like, just stay with something. It doesn't have to be on a grand scale, but if you stick with the little things for six months, it's going to pay off. And that's been, so if you're an entrepreneur, just starting out, if you're starting out as a real estate agent, don't worry about, oh God, I need to sell 20 homes this year. Just work on selling one in the next three months and then build from there mm-hmm. and don't get overwhelmed by the big picture. Yeah, right. Set, the, set those goals. Yeah, set those set goals. Set all those goals, but then work it backwards, right? They have a, you guys heard of 12-week year. So there's a whole program. Is that something you had to read? Because one of my goals was <laughs> to be able to read. learn, read. You, you might be able to find it on YouTube 20, and yeah. watch it instead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is that, is that spelled U, T, U? Yeah, I can't even spell YouTube. Something like that. Something like that. <laughs> You're a star on YouTube, I thought. What do you mean? <laughs> no, that's TikTok. He's an Instagram star. Reels? He's got the, the reels on Instagram. Uh, yeah. You know, it's... Would you like to explain yourself on all the reels that I've, you know, how I know you? No, I will keep, I'll keep my thoughts to myself. Please. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I'm a, I, we need to get going with me TikTok and dancing. We need to get that going. That's next. That's you just, next. You just haven't, you haven't uh, been with me long enough for me no. to tell you that. <laughs> no, it's just me dancing on top of a Honda CRV. That's, no. that would be my dream. You still have this one that you drove? So I, I made him sell it. Yeah. True it was, story. It, he lit one of the funniest things he's at, you know, I, I was so proud. I had, you know, I drove a Honda CRV over here and he looked at the car and I said, you know what? I really think I should hang on to this car and Jib just deadpan. No, you shouldn't. And so when I got my new car, oh, it's, it's bad. I got a new car. He, he just was over the moon that I got, I got, I hung onto that CRV for about four or five years. Every time he was, Actually, I, w- I wouldn't buy that car for my teenage daughter, which is the audience that you would think would want it. <laughs> An actual client that we that that Jim and I worked with, he did the loan. I, I helped him buy a condo. He actually I met him at an open house. He walked out. He told me later, he said, I almost didn't work with you because I didn't think you'd be you had a Honda CRV. So, I, so, yeah, one of the cars I drive is a 2004 Toyota Highlander. 2004. I call it. Why don't the you give beast. her a hard time? There you There's go. nothing wrong with that car. That is <laughs> an age appropriate car. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we are at the top of the hour. Tell everybody how we can reach you. Jim, I'll start with you. I'm Jim Huddlemeyer. My last name is going to be super boring <laughs> if I spell it out. So, but if you Google Jim Huddlemeyer Mortgage, I'm out there. Instagram, the Huddlemeyer team. My website, huddlemeyerteam.com. Thank you so much for being on today. Thank you for having me. It was great. All right, Anjali, what about you? Anjali Patel, you can find me on the firm website, Allen Law AZ. So that's A-L-L-E-N-L-A-W-A-Z. You can email me. Same thing. You can get a link from our website. You can find me on LinkedIn um, or I'm sure we'll post something yes, for the shortcuts. Of course. <laughs> Steve, what about you? It's pretty, just like Jim says, pretty easy if you just uh, type in uh, Steve Russell with two S's and two L's, uh, Scottsdale Real Estate. I'll pop up on Google pretty quickly. All, all the links that you can get in touch with me. 
It's pretty straightforward. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to Collaborative Connections radio show and podcast sponsored by KLM. Do what you love and outsource the rest. Until next time, happy connecting. Thank you.